This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rapp, and joining me this week, two smoldering Kirby crackles that somehow fell out of my slabbed copy of Fantastic Four, number 72, Nick White. You're going to have to slab that copy inside of another slabbed copy. It's what I've always wanted. Uh, And Paul Jaceley. Hey there, humanoids. Thank you guys for joining me this week for I Read Comic Books. I'm so excited to be back. My voice is finally back. I can speak like a regular human being. Last week's episode was fantastic, by the way, but this week is going to be our biggest episode yet. I think we have a whole bunch of things to get through before we jump into things. I want to shout out to our latest patron, CK. Welcome to the club. Welcome to all those wonderful back episodes of A Better Batmobile. Paul and Mike read Doom Patrol, Saga of Saga, all the other stuff, IRCB Movie Club that we have, Giant Days of Our Lives. Go listen to that on Patreon. Thank you so much for joining us uh, and welcome. I want to remind everybody who's listening today that we have a hangout on September 24th, this upcoming Saturday from when this episode drops at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Make sure to jump on our Discord. There's a link on our website, ircbpodcast.com, where you can join that and then come hang out with us and talk comics and tacos and everything else that we get into. Usually, Nick takes over at some point and then it's only F1 for about an hour, so maybe Make sure you get there before Nick shows up so that you can have a conversation with us about other things. This is really Um, sound advice. That's true. (laughs) Uh, And the last thing I'll say is uh, there's a new shirt on our store. I'm not even going to describe it. All I'm going to say is I can't believe that it exists. But Nick said something to me the other night, and it was the funniest thing I've heard in a very long time. And so our good friend Kyle, who designed the IRCB logo, took that and ran with it and made it into a T-shirt. I'm sorry in advance for all of you who go and checked it out. There's a link to that in our show notes at shop.ircbpodcast.com. But let's get into things. We've got two late legally mandated questions that I need to ask, and that is how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Paul. Um, I just want to wish everyone a happy belated Batman Day. All old chums out there, uh, new and old. Uh, so I've been doing pretty well. It's been a beautiful weekend here in Western Michigan. Gorgeous late summer weather. Um, I actually made it to the beach last week, so I think it's probably the last time I'd have a chance to get in the water in Lake Michigan. Beautiful, beautiful evening. Nice. I saw some of those pictures. They looked like it was looked like a wonderful time there, Paul. It certainly was. It certainly was. There's something really special about being in Lake Michigan. I'm telling all the listeners, hey, let's do an IRCB get together here in Western Michigan one of these days. Get everybody out to the lake. We'll have a blast. Yeah. In the meantime, let's talk about comics. I, of course, as I mentioned, it was Batman Day yesterday, so of course I had to read some Batman comics, and I read the latest issue of Batman. That's number 127, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Jorge Jimenez, colors by Tomu More, and letters by Clayton Coles. Um, this is the third issue in Chip Zdarsky's run, and uh, I overall, I'm liking it. Um, I'm hesitant to give too many spoilers away. Let's just say that if you've been listening along to the uh, better Batmobile series. There's an old callback to Morrison's run that Zdarsky brings back in the previous issue. Ooh. And we see more of that here. I'll just say uh, Batman's dressing more colorfully in this issue than normal. I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> but I, I think what's interesting about this run so far is it feels very rushed. And I mean, it's, it's a tight line to walk because I like comics that I don't like comics that are decompressed and I'd kind of like drag out the story. At the same time, I want to have the ideas here, and I think Zdarsky has some really interesting ideas about Batman. I want to see them have a little bit more room to breathe. This is a very action-packed issue. Uh, most of the issue is Batman and Robin, uh, Tim Drake, having a knockdown dragout fight with this uh, robot called Failsafe, which is d- determined to destroy Batman. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, at the same time, it's paralleling this idea of Batman himself being so well prepared that he's created fail safes both for himself and to protect against the Justice League. It's calling back to another idea from 
from Grant Morrison on their run of JLA, the idea that Batman mm-hmm. had a plan to take out every member of the Justice League. There's a reference to that. So this idea that there's a d- distinction between Batman and you know Bruce and that dis- difference in their personalities, I just feel like those ideas weren't given enough time to kind of breathe and to kind of be explored in the in the pace of this issue. And I, I imagine that given the big cliffhanger that happens at the end of this issue, which was kind of a surprise, there'll be more time to unpack that stuff. I just, I think Zdarsky mm. kind of like hit the ground running. And I wonder if that's kind of detrimental to the bigger story that they're putting together here. But overall, you got Batman punching something. Batman punching people is always my favorite thing to read in a comic book. So I can't <laughs> complain too much. So are either of you reading this issue to issue as it's coming out? I, I'm looking into it. You know, part of me is like, hey, might just pick up another another DC book and, and run with it. Um, I, I'm just, <laughs> I don't know. I can't bring myself to it. It's so, it's sure. so tough because I want to really read Batman and be excited about it. But I feel like I'm going to fall in the pit that I've fallen into with X-Men. And you can't be in two pits at once. You know, <laughs> you can't fall in and start reading every single Batman book because I feel like I want to. Danny in the chat is encouraging me. He says, yeah. do it. But the thing that, that struck me about your description here is that this yeah. is grant morrison person's pretty influential huh i mean <laughs> yeah 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 it turns oh, out boy. they had a lot of good ideas about batman that you know been sitting there mm. waiting for someone else to pick up and run with um uh-huh. and it's worth noting that you know on top of zadarsky taking over batman you also had rom v and um rafael albuquerque take over detective comics around the same time and in that series they bring back the concept of barbatos which is an idea that morrison really explored in, in their run Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to give as, just as we had finished talking about Morrison's Batman for a better Batmobile, all this stuff starts popping up again. There's like almost synchronicity in a way. I'm sure there's some sort yeah. of occult ritual I unknowingly did during <laughs> research for Morrison's Batman that unlocked this uh, cosmic convergence, this cosmic gumbo, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all you readers out there, you're welcome. That's all we'll say over here, IRCB, right? I Yeah, exactly. And I, I should very briefly say, since Danny mentioned it in the chat over on Discord, that on top of Zdarsky's uh, writing, Jorge Jimenez is a fantastic superhero artist. I mean, this book mm-hmm. looks beautiful. He draws the action so well. It's just that beautiful blend of being superhero art that's recognizably contemporary superhero art, but like abstracted just enough. And it's dynamic in a way that you know, sometimes don't always see in a Batman comic. So I really enjoy mm-hmm. his artwork on top of that. Um, yeah, so that's one book I read. Uh, what about you, Nick? What did you read this week? Yeah, for me, it's uh, it's sort of it's sort of been one of those fun moments where you you read a book and then you realize you don't remember the book before, and then you're like, oh no, I have to reread that whole thing again. And that that's basically my pick for this week, which is. Uh, the Bone Orchard Mythos, Ten Thousand uh-huh. Black Feathers, Number One. For those unaware, this is the collaboration between uh, Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino at Image Comics. Uh, this is kind of this broad, overarching project they're doing now, which is kind of a combination of original graphic novels and one shots, uh, approaching what feels like some sort of a um. Lovecraftian mythology of uh, standalone works that have broad overarching points, hopefully without the uh, overt racism. Uh, fingers crossed. Oh, huh. <laughs> yeah. Shocking. Uh, shocking reveal, everyone. Lovecraft was racist. Surprise. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we don't <laughs> get any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
so I read the one shot, not one shot, sorry, it's a mini series issue. And then I was like, oh, I just need to read the whole original graphic novel again. You know, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. a big ask. Uh, so I reread The Passageway, which was the original graphic novel that came out a couple months ago. It's only like 88 pages. Probably shouldn't have been like $17, but I think I complained about that before. So mm-hmm. you can go back and listen to that episode. Maybe it's a Patreon exclusive. I don't know. Probably this, not. This but. is one of those things that Image has been doing recently where they're like, hey, you want this hardcover? Guess what, bud? It's only going to be 80 pages and it's going to cost as much yeah. as a 200 page graphic novel. So like middle fingers up. Yeah. Buy it, stupid. <laughs> yeah. Not not a huge fan of that part. But yeah. uh, so I'll just briefly kind of touch on the conceit of that. Basically, you have this guy named John Reed. He's sent by the Canadian Geological Society to investigate a seemingly bottomless pit that suddenly appeared on an island um, after the local lighthouse uh, keeper reports it. But the hole turns out to uh, to not be bottomless, and it also isn't empty. And the lighthouse keeper, well, she hasn't left the island in over 25 years. And with that, I, I posit a, a question. Can you trust someone that has not seen a single Fast and the Furious movie? Um, <laughs> Are you saying you don't trust me, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I've only seen one. Okay. <laughs> too Fast, Too Furious. Um, okay, good. I jumped in with the second one, and I was like, I'm so lost. I've clearly missed out on so much mythology and world building from the first one, and I just cut it off but at that point. There's, Vin Diesel's not even in the second one. Like, I know. Okay, all right. Listen, we're not going to do this right now. And Nick, tell, finish up what you're saying about the voter. Can you, can you, can you trust someone that still believes? Yeah, yeah. Can you trust someone that still believes Jay Leno was on the air? Um. <laughs> anyway, uh. So yeah, it's 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 definitely if you're scared of like lighthouses, if you're scared of large swaths of open water. Um, any of that stuff, uh, desolation, solitude, uh, it's all here, folks. Mm-hmm. And Andrea Sorrentino's uh, just pencil work is just unbelievable. Like the way he captures like the waves and the and the water, it's 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 terrifying. And it's it's interesting because both the passageway and Ten Thousand Black Feathers both sort of employ this past present dual narrative going Hmm. on in both works with Sorrentino using sort of simpler, less distinctive rounded pencils and Stewart uh, using uh, Dave Stewart using brighter colors for the past narrative in both. So it's kind of interesting to see that. Hmm. So then I went and I reread 10,000 black feathers, which has to do with, let me see. So it follows a pair of girls named Jackie and Trish. They sort of become fast friends as they have shared interests in such stuff as Ursula uh, Le Guin sci-fi novels and D&D. Uh, the two decide that they're going to make their own world, write their own novel. Uh, and then we jump forward uh, some amount of years. Trish has become a fantasy author in her own right. Her last books haven't really sold that well. She sort of has been seeing and hearing weird shit. And, she short, and so she sort of returns home to kind of try to find uh, grounded solitude and, and familiarity and, and whatnot. But of course, that's also got some dark undertones and we don't know quite what has happened to Jackie in the present. So sort of that story kind of unfolds. Now, what's the connective tissue between the two? There's some Easter eggs in the ongoing series that um, goes back to the OGN. Um, there's interestingly some references in 
There's some references in the OGN that actually only become relevant once you read the one shot. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the name of the ongoing series is actually featured prominently on like this big stone edifice in the OGN. So it's like, okay, how is all of this playing together? And so if you've, I would encourage readers, if you've read one and it's been a while since you've read the other, go back, read both. There is some connective tissue going on. I'm not quite sure what all of it means. Both do seem to stand pretty well on their own, but um, overall it's still like too soon to tell exactly what Lemire and Sorrentino are doing here. Like the only, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it it's is my like, favorite kind of comic book. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, I, I appreciate that these days. I think everyone is so scared of this pressure that you have to lay everything out in issue one. Like people have sure. to know everything that's going on. People have to have a full broad picture of what's happening mm-hmm. just because, you know, you got to hit the ground running uh, otherwise, how are you ever going to sell beyond your first OGN or whatever, or your first volume that, uh, it's rare to find books that have, uh, or, or to find creators that have that room where they can actually just take their time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> I think that the way that you describe it of like, I don't know what's going on versus yeah. like, there's mystery that I need to unpack and figure out is a little bit different. So I don't know. I can't tell if it's good or not. That's where I'm getting from you, Nick. (laughs) I mean, I finished the OGN last night for the second time, reading it much more carefully than the first time. (laughs) And I am still so confused. I am so resoundingly confused with what I read. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But uh, it's it's scary ass shit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm just not 100% certain what I'm scared of. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. So this is now a psychoanalysis of me. So, so, okay, well, I guess before is, we start to... No, no. Yeah. Before we start to unpack all of your 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 fears and, and worries... I'm already on the couch. I'm already on the couch. It's too late. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm going to jump into one of the books that I read because we have plenty Perfect. of books to get through. Uh, I read... I Pagliacci. <laughs> um... I read Fire Punch volumes one through eight. I think when I was on the episode or on the show last, I said like I don't know why I can't get through like th- more than three volumes of anything that I set my mind to. That's like a long running series. And so while I was not feeling so great after I got back from my trip uh, uh, out of town, I decided you know I'm going to start reading Fire Punch while I was on my trip. When I got back, I was like I'm going to blast through the remaining six volumes of Fire Punch. And so in like a week span, I read eight volumes of volume of Fire Punch. This is by uh, Tatsuki Fujimoto, who and his assistants, um, Tatsuki Fujimoto, you may know from Chainsaw Man, because I wanted to read more Chainsaw Man. If you're looking at the top of our pile posts that we post every week, you'll see that I was like, I just want more of this. I don't know why I wanted more of this because I can't understand why Viz published this book. It's very, very, very not good, um, but not in a this is bad that secretly makes it good kind of way. Like, let me just read the synopsis here, right? So two or- orphan siblings, Agni and Luna, like the like the Ice Witch who cursed their world are two of the quote blessed humans who hold special abilities however not all who are blessed are friendly and after another of their kind attacks Agni and decimates the orphans village uh, where they're staying at uh, Agni fights to survive vowing revenge seems like a pretty straightforward shonen story right it's got some some dark aspects to it this is definitely not like 
that at all. Uh, this story feels very much like it was a, I like a lot of these different media properties and these different story types and these different dark things in the world. So I'm going to write a story that feels like all of those things, but with my own weird twist on it. Um, those things that I could feel out of this book were like The Walking Dead and heroes and religious cults. And I don't think that I like this book. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. Like the the story was like constantly zigging and zagging. And like you could say if you read all eight in consecutive reading like I did that like it does make sense. Agni wants to kill this dude and then ultimately realizes that he has more power than he thinks. Uh, like I don't know. It it goes left and right. It takes a 180. It does a 420 no scope. It like it's got weird bits that don't make sense. And it comes ultimately down to like this idea of the human mind can lie to itself about anything. And that makes bad situations better. But ultimately, in the end, it actually makes bad situations worse. And you may be asking, like, does it actually make this a good book if I was able to pull some meaning out of eight volumes of a like a pretty <laughs> asinine story? I no, absolutely not. Like I got what the author I think was getting at, but in the end, I felt like it was a pretty bad story, um, which is really a shame because I think there's an interesting concept in the beginning of the story that they maybe just had no idea where to go with it. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I feel bad like like chomping on this book so much because I love Chainsaw Man for all of its grossness and stupidity. Mm -hmm. This book didn't feel like it. It didn't have that same charm. It felt like it was weird and ultra-violent for the sake of ultra-violence just to see how far they could push themselves in storytelling and still try to make a cohesive thing out of it. And ultimately, I think it failed. I don't know. I, I, at the end of this, all I could say was like, I understand what now why there are Jujutsu Kaisen haters. Um, for those of you who have read that or maybe seen that show, that book makes no sense. And it tries to inundate you with text to justify everything that it throws at you in a D-Sex Machina. But Fire Punch just takes that and says, no, 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 this is how things are now without any justification. Characters suddenly have more power or less power depending on the circumstance. Jujutsu Kaisen does that, but then like adds 10 paragraphs of text to explain that so-and-so lost their powers because of a random chance die that rolls every time they use their power that we never explained up until this moment in order to justify this situation. <laughs> Fire Punch just goes, today this this guy's his, his power just didn't work. You know, and it's like, OK, fine, I guess. I don't know. I wanted to get more Fujimoto in my life. And I feel like I swam in a bog on a hot day. Like I wanted to cool down. But at what cost? You know, I'm sticky now. I probably have a leech on my body somewhere. And I don't even know if bogs are cold. I actually just watched Prey the other night. So that's all I can think of. But um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend Fire Punch to anyone. But if you need something that is absurd and super easy to read, this book rules. Um, but it's a bad book. <laughs> that's all I can say about it. Wow. Not a fan. Well, we won't get a poll quote on the back of that one. All <laughs> listen, right, thank you. Listen, at this thank point, um, I'm I'm burning every bridge that I that I'm walking on. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, I guess, anyways, well, let's move forward. Paul, what's another book that you read this week? Um, I caught up on Love Everlasting, which is a series written by Tom King with art by friend of the show Elsa Chartier, uh, colors by Matt Hollingsworth, and letters by Clayton Coles. This is something that uh, King and Chartier were doing on their Substack, I think. Uh, it was available digitally for a while, but mm -hmm. of course, um, I meant to read that. And of course, I have a hard time keeping up with physical comics, let alone trying to track down digital stuff to read. So I decided to wait. And sure enough, Image Comics is now publishing them in single issues. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, this is a really good book. I, I'm very hesitant to get too deep into it to avoid spoiling anything because I think there's a twist in the story and there's a hook that makes the book enjoyable. And I think if you don't 
know it going in, you'd have a better time reading it, if that makes sense. Um, cool. Essentially, it is a riff on old uh, Silver and Bronze Age romance comics, um, which is something I don't know a ton about, but I know romance comics were pretty wildly popular. Um, part of a uh, comic book history, you know, as a genre that sadly is kind of like faded away, not as uh, prevalent, but they're doing the riff on that. Um, and each story is told from the point of view of a main character named Joan. And in the first issue, we see her or it appears to be her in a number of different romances. And it's like one part of the story, the first issue is like three different stories. And when one story would end, it would jump to a different time period. And it'd be a woman that looked a lot like Joan falling in love. And so you should kind of realize, wait, this all seems very familiar. So it's almost like you have a main character is almost caught uh, jumping between different time periods, falling in love with someone that either ends well, you know, happy ending or a tragic ending. But she seems to realize or become aware that it's the same story happening again and again. So she's like aware of the narrative going on. And the second issue is a is a whole story of the whole issue. Um, and it kind of expands that idea. And there's something that's um, Joan's... Um, aware of now she's self-aware of being in the sort of love story and what's great about it is the way king is able to kind of build that tension like you're never quite sure how aware joan really is of what the situation is going on here that makes sense mm. yeah um and of course as i mentioned elsa chartier a uh, friend of the show an amazing illustrator an amazing cartoonist she draws everything in that that style that at first glance looks so simple, just a clean line work, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, very uh, streamlined storytelling. But the the more you look at the book and you more look at sort of the way that she's able to portray the emotions that are going on within the characters, it it's much better than trying to do a retro, quote unquote, you know, take on uh, the the typical romance comic. It gets a, it's a mm-hmm. very densely uh, drawn story the way that she's able to kind of pack all that sort of suspense into each panel it's a really beautiful book um so i'm glad i kind of waited to pick it up physically because i can kind of sit and enjoy mm-hmm. it the illustrations um so if you've been curious about that if you knew it existed on the Substack, been waiting to read it now's your time I, I think it's a fantastic book and i don't know uh if it's an ongoing or or um a mini i'm just really enjoying it so far those first two issues were fantastic yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to reading this. I I've been holding off because I think I'm going to get it as like a trade. I think it's a mini series, yeah. but e- either okay. way, like I I want to grab it like a collected edition just because I I really enjoy getting lots of Elsa's art at once. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll probably wait trade wait it, but it looks like great. I'm I was so excited when I saw they announced that. Yeah, I I think it's such a unique take. You know, I'm so used to reading Tom King doing superhero stuff characters i'm already familiar with to see him do a book like this which is on one hand instead of taking a character like batman or you know like human target or mr miracle and kind mm-hmm. of ex- expanding on what that character means or deeper meanings of the character he's like taking the whole genre of romance comics kind of playing with cool. that you know it, it, it's it's a really cool. it's a really clever book and I'm, I'm really impressed to see two tremendous creators almost like working together and leveling up. It's like, oh, this is kind of like they're meant to work together and make this thing that's even better than, mm-hmm. you know, if the two of them working together makes it better than it would be, so to speak, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally following you. That's cool. Nick, what else you got? Uh, the moment everyone's been waiting for. <laughs> yes. Oh, shit. Here we go. Uh, folks, I did it. I read the new Alien number one. Alien number one, 2020. 2022, I guess, if you want mm-hmm. to call it that, or I've seen it sometimes stylized as just 
A number one, and that's the letter A, not like youper speak. Youper speak is what they call people in the upper peninsula of uh-huh. Michigan. I realize that's not a term most people are familiar with. Anyway, long and short of it is I'm not going to call this book A, okay? I'm just going to okay. call it Alien 2022. I'm mm-hmm. not buying into that. Um, and it's not my fault. All right, look, Marvel decided to reset the numbering roughly only a year and a half after Johnson, Philip Kennedy Johnson, the author, and artist Salvador La Roca kicked off Marvel's first crack at making a Zeno book back in March of 2021. And true to most marveling renumbering efforts, so they're nothing if not consistent, this choice to reset the clock was at best unnecessary, considering mm-hmm. this book is largely an anthology. And at worst, it's potentially confusing for those who think it's a true reboot because it does actually build on some of the broad overarching plot points, um, specifically from the second arc of the first run. So uh, thank you, Marvel. Uh, People may say, I don't understand why they do this. It doesn't make any sense. Well, it does make sense. C-E-N-T-S. Got it. All right, Nick. (laughs) Marvel's going to... Uh, probably need to take a few days off to just you know deal with that uh, slam. So I'm sure I'm sure CB Sabolsky is wondering uh, how he's going to handle that. I'm sure he's, he's mm-hmm. currently recuperating in the burn ward after that. Yeah, that incineration. Yeah. He's like he's going to have to create another controversy to just take the news away from this. <laughs> Nick, what did you think of this comic book? Uh, I don't care about that anymore. Um. So this is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, as I already mentioned, with the new artist being Julius uh, Oda. Mm-hmm. Colors by Yen Nitro. Letters are still by Clayton Cole. Uh, and the main covers are now being done by Bjorn Behrens. Uh, obviously, most people know that um, I felt that the uh, run from 2021 definitely had some strengths. Uh, I thought the writing was pretty good. It definitely had some uh, weaknesses. Um, LaRocca's art was a mixed bag, to put it politely. And Oda, if if Oda doesn't sound familiar, it's probably because you and I don't read a lot of books by Dynamite. Oda yeah. made a name for um, themselves the last couple of years drawing for their Betty Page and Sherlock Holmes books. Recently, Oda started working for Marvel uh, Oda drew Wastelanders Doom Number 1, which came out in March, as well as Iron Man 16, Captain Marvel 37. So he, uh, they've done a couple things earlier this year for Marvel. Uh, mm. And so obviously this would be another work. But do I like the art? Uh, how does it compare to La Roca? Obviously, these are the burning questions that everyone is waiting with bated breath for. Uh, well, if La Roca aimed for something like photorealism and didn't always deliver, I can at least assure you that Oda's aesthetic isn't even remotely similar. I know artists hate being compared to other artists, and most of the time when I say this, I immediately follow that by comparing them to other artists, and this Mm -hmm. is going to be no different. Um, The shading (laughs) reminds me a little of Smallwood. The pencils remind me a little bit of Juan Ferreira. That's good company to be in, honestly. Mm -hmm. Some of it tonally honestly feels like a soups book, and the colors and, and action sort of match that, but given the narrative, it works. So I'm going to sort of reserve my judgment on the art for now. Okay. As for the narrative with this one, it's actually a pretty bold step out of line with typical Aliens fare. And I'm saying that even in comparison to the narratives that Philip Kennedy Johnson put out in the first two arcs of the um, 2021 run. So Johnson is nothing if not consistent. 
and he sort of seems to want to engage with this aspect of aliens lore that some people kind of know about. It's sort of the idea that synthetics were originally allowed to serve in combat roles until they weren't. And then basically it was illegal to use synthetics in combat situations. And again, I think most people, you really don't know this unless you've read the books or I don't know, um, have engaged with the role-playing game or something. But Johnson seems to want to sort of explore this idea that there was this point when combat synthetics existed. And then the uh, military screwed them over and said, like, this is something we're not doing anymore. And what sort of happened to those combat synthetics after that? So it's like a real, real real deep cut um which i'm sure some super freaking nerds like me are loving and everyone else is like well i guess i'm along for the ride i mean it's aliens comics right like it's either you're doing something that's slightly innovative or you're doing the same thing like those are the only options with aliens right (laughs) right Right. i mean that's sort of like the 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 real strength and weakness of aliens comics is that as long as an alien shows up at some point you've basically you've you've done an alien comic like that's it <laughs> like there's it's <laughs> if, if if there's a to-do list for making an alien comic it's one check it's one box to check and it's has alien question mark <laughs> and as long as you can check that box at some point like a plus uh-huh. uh-huh. um uh-huh. <laughs> which again like i think for some people they look at that and they go well that's stupid and I think other people go, well, I mean, really, y- y- you can pretty much do anything. Mm-hmm. I think the tricky thing is that uh, a lot of fans of alien narratives um, either really like or really enjoy sort of the familiar beat by beat of like, oh, we're sent to explore this abandoned space station. And mm-hmm. gee, I, I sure hope there isn't a survivor that's, in, uh, you know, um, you know, going to have a chestburster pop out. And I mean... It's sort of that weird duality of like familiarity breeds comfort, but it also breeds contempt. And sure. like now sure. we're really getting deep, yeah. I guess. But that's kind of the weird path one walks with this. And I, I like that Philip Kennedy Johnson is really exploring different ideas. And it seems like he's really continuing that idea through into this reboot. I just do not understand why we're rebooting. It's like, it's number like rebooting Twilight Zone, right? It's yeah, like, well, number, we're gonna. No, no. Re, you know? We know why twi- number one sell. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. It, it's 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 why not? It, the question is why is Marvel insisting on everything being ongoing instead of just doing miniseries? Why isn't just like Aliens, you know, the LaRocca era? Or, I, I don't know what the hell you want to call yeah. it, but like you know, mm-hmm. each of those arcs should have just been their own like five issue miniseries and then people can just pick stick up pick stuff up and know that they don't have like a long-term story to jump onto probably going to sell more books if people know they're getting contained stories like structure it like a movie franchise come on marvel like jesus (laughs) i don't know it's it's just so weird because like like i said it's like numbering you know like twilight zone like what what do you yeah there doesn't need to be numbers yeah i understand (sighs) anyway uh it's it's interesting i feel like it's this, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like they've given Philip Kennedy Johnson the room to do what he wants. And I don't know if that's either them giving him the freedom or Marvel not honestly knowing what to do with the Alien franchise. I mean, and they're just it's like, I guess we own this. I guess yeah. we own this. We own this. Do whatever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 
I'm very excited to hear what what other people um, end up thinking about this book. The other seven people reading it. <laughs> I'll get to it one day. It's, it yeah. definitely got pulled by Amazon for me for some reason, even though I definitely wasn't subscribed. So um, I own it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What What about you? Well, for me, I also read, I started the epic series that everyone has seen at their comic book shop. I started Akira. Um, mm-hmm. I read the first two volumes of Akira. Uh, this is by Katsuhiro Otomo uh, with his, with their assistance. Um, I watched the movie the other day as I was trying to catch up on the 70 millimeter podcast. Good friends of mine, cool guys. They definitely respond to my Instagram DMs. We're buds. Uh, <laughs> they're definitely not like a super impressive movie podcast or anything like that. They're right. just they're guys that I know. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what this is, welcome to Neo Tokyo. It's built on the ashes of a Tokyo annihilated by a blast of unknown origin that triggered World War III. The lives of two streetwise teenage friends, Tetsuo and Canada, change forever when paranormal activities begin to waken in Tetsuo, making him a target for a shadow agency that will stop at nothing to prevent another catastrophe like the one that leveled Tokyo. At the core of the agency's motivation is a raw, all-consuming fear of the unthinkable monstrous power known only as Akira. Um, Having watched the movie, I was like, you know what? I'm buying this manga and I'm going to read the damn thing because I loved the movie it's really really fun if you're if you're on our discord you saw my letterbox review four out of five stars it's great <laughs> wow um the only reason it's not a five star is because the story kind of just doesn't exist because it's a compressed version of what's in the manga and the manga super super delivers um you get more of the children of the story. You get more of Tatsuo and Canada yelling at each other. You get more of Kei, uh, Kai being a total badass, more of the resistance, more of the building of a truly dark and epic action story from end to end. Um, everything that made the movie great is expanded upon in the manga. And I understand why someone would want to adapt this. This is an incredible incredible story uh danny in the chat pointed out that this is not available digitally which does stink but everyone should just go to their library go to your comic shop grab this like there's these huge oversized editions that are like four times the size of a regular manga volume that you can read and they read perfectly and i grabbed i grabbed the whole run it's it's a little expensive but either way i know your library has this there's no question about it it's one of like Mm -hmm. the most celebrated mangas ever and it's amazing like the first two volumes touch most of the movie and i think i don't know people have said like oh the movie covers the first two volumes absolutely not i don't know what anybody's talking about we haven't gotten to the big climax this book goes i think much further into the story of things so i'm I'm really really excited to read this um the biggest downside of this book though um story's fantastic art's amazing like you get these full massive two-page spreads in these oversized editions of like these just scenery of neo tokyo and if you have cyberpunk dreams in your mind read this manga this it's mm. it's perfect um but the downside of this book is that it's printed left to right all right so they did this thing back in the 80s and 90s and even 2000s nick and i've talked nick's talked about a little bit about reading blade of the immortal um but that's a little bit in a different situation this book is clearly they just mirrored all of the panels so everyone looks like they're left-handed everything flows left to right the, the all the all the word bubbles are there. It reads fine, but in my mind, I always have to like, I had to take a second, jump it into each volume. Like, no, manga's read right to left. No, not in this case, it's read left to right. But once you get over that small hump, um, it's it's a wonderful read. Yeah, this book rules. Find it, read it. Two volumes in, and I feel like I'm really reading something monumental that's slow burning and is getting to an ex- extremely cool climax. And I, I can't wait to get through the rest of this book. The first two volumes are super thin, and then the rest of the volumes are really thick and I'm sure just like chock full of incredible stuff so i'm really really excited to get into volume three um 
Yeah, you guys have all seen Akira, right? I have not. There's a gaping hole oh in my, my pop God. culture knowledge. I'm so what sorry. What are we doing? <laughs> I know that there's the bike, right? And then there's the scene where the guy goes, Akira. And the other one goes, what, Tetsuo? He yells, Canada. And the other guy goes, Tetsuo. And then they keep doing that back and forth. Um, that happens all the time in the manga. And it is the <laughs> funniest thing to read. Just these guys, they see each other and they're like, hey, Canada. <laughs> like, I wish that that's how people like like yelled at each other when they were mad. They were They just knew their name. And they would just scream at each other. It's amazing. While on the topic of big, oversized uh, manga volumes, can we dedicate like 30 seconds to talk about that big One Piece volume that they recently... <laughs> Wait, Listen, after the break, after the break, okay. we'll talk about that. How about okay. that? Um, for now, uh, Paul, what, what was the last thing you read? We, we're running so long this week, everybody. I hope you enjoy it. I very briefly have to say, I have checked out the first volume of Akira from a library like three times and just never gotten around to it before I had to take the book oh. back. So next time I check it out, well, next time I go to the library, I will check it out and put it on the top of my pile. There you go. We're going to have to do, I think we're going to have to do this, Paul, and I'm sorry to co-opt your show, <laughs> but I think IRCB Movie Club is going to have to do like a manga adaptation like episode where we'll pick three anime movies and we're going to have to watch them and read the manga that goes along with it. Sure. And the thing you is, know I don't, know, I don't think about there. that. So we're going to have to have the Patreon supporters suggest some uh, some options for that. So yeah, I like this. I, I'd be down. I like so. this. Um, uh, a book I've been reading, actually, I'm currently reading about uh, just over halfway through it because it's a huge book. It's probably at least 500 pages just based on weight and uh, size here. It's Clyde Fans by the cartoonist who goes by Seth, just a single name, Seth. Um, mm. It's a really celebrated book. It's something I've known about for years. It's a kind of a legend in uh, underground sort of art comics uh, published by Drawn and Quarterly. And Seth has been serializing this story uh, in his series, Palookaville, which is also published by Drawn and Quarterly. It's kind of like an mm-hmm. annual little hardcover book he puts out um, once a year or so. And uh, the story of Clyde Fans was serialized in Palookaville from the years 1998 to 2017. That's a long story. Uh, and I've always wanted to read it, but I never really knew where to start or where to get the uh, the parts of the story. Luckily, John and Quarterly collected the whole thing in a giant paperback that came out in 2019. I saw it at the comic shop and just grabbed it. So like, I'm finally going to do this. Um, nice. And it's great. It, it's a very different book uh, than the other books I've talked about so far. Um, it's basically follows two brothers, Abe and Simon Matchcard, as they struggle to keep their family business, the titular stores, Clyde Fans, open in a world where people aren't buying fans at fan stores anymore. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it follows them throughout a few decades. It, I mean, there's uh, one chapter that takes place in the 50s, one that takes place in the 90s, and it kind of jumps between these different time periods. And it follows these two characters who are very, very different. Abe match card is very pragmatic you know he's like this is how you run a business they inherit this store from their father he gives you the background of all that and has a very practical view of of his role in the world and the role of clyde fans as a business simon on the other hand is very uh, introverted he there's a whole section where he tries to go do door-to-door sales basically for fans and fails miserably um he's so nervous Inside his own head, he's struggling with some sort of uh, either depression or some sort of uh, neurosis. And what's great is the way Seth is able to 
very, very slowly pace the story. So you, you get into the characters' heads. Uh, it's a very deliberately paced story. There's a lot of very quiet moments of them walking down the street or walking through the fan store. And it seems like not much is happening, but you really get the sense that what Seth is doing is trying to put you in the character's frame of mind and show you mm. how they're approaching the situation. And uh, Seth has a very distinct style. It's, it's cartoonish. Um, and, you know, and, and I use it in the, the sense that it looks, um, it's, it's classical cartooning, very simple line work. It's kind of interesting as you flip through the book, you see since it was published over such a long period, his style slowly changes and the line work gets a little bit thicker. Mm-hmm. The brushwork gets a little bit more, less intricate, but it kind of works in that way. More streamlined sort of art approach. Uh, and it's all done in the sort of monochromatic, not quite monochromatic. There's gray and a, and a blue tint to all the work there, all the, the coloring. It's a very singular book. I'm glad I finally bit the bullet and picked up a copy, like I said, about halfway through it. But it's one of those books that I like to give myself some time. I like to sit down in a quiet evening, kind of put myself in that world in the character's viewpoints and kind of just relax. You know, it's it's a relaxing, slowly paced story that really just is so engaging and just uh it's a tremendous work. So I'm I'm excited to come back and actually talk about talk about when I finished it and I can give you the full breakdown. But that's kind of been on top of my pile for the past week or so basically. That sounds sounds intense. I, I thought this was the same creator who did all of the Jason books or Jason, the the creator. I was like, this is a totally different style for that dude. Is <laughs> none of these are dogs. Like what the hell's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I actually read this book. Oh uh, really? Yeah. Looking at it now, yeah, like a, a while ago. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally understand you not wanting or trying or being able to power through <laughs> this book. Yeah. yeah, you can't. It's so, it's so dense and it's so like emotionally dense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and also surprise uh a little depressing but you've probably already figured that out so um (laughs) i mean let me tell you this is like uh this this checks all the boxes for if i was going to recommend a book to paul but uh it's like (laughs) yeah exactly it's like indie and it's like a long ongoing saga and um kind of morose yeah yeah uh (laughs) (laughs) yep yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely right. a longer checklist than the alien checklist. It's got a couple <laughs> extra boxes. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 basically right up my alley. If I'm not going to read a book that has Batman punching somebody in the face, and read this like slow, depressing, you know, existential crisis unfolding in front of me every page. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. decades of family drama, and you know, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully that sells it. No, it is a it is a very good book. I know it. It, it might not it's one of those things I think you should at least pick it up, flip through it, see if it's your cup of tea. It might surprise you. So, uh, yeah, Nick, what's last on your list here for me? I suppose it's, it's only fitting if we, uh, if we covered alien that we have this unique opportunity to also cover predator. Oh. Uh, so here we are. That's right. Marvel owns both properties as they own 20th century Fox. So of course they are going to squeeze every, a little dollar out of every single thing that they can. I think personally, I'm just amazed that we actually have this book in the first place. Um, For those unaware, this is written by Ed Brisson, art by Kev Walker, colors by Frank Diamata, uh, letters by Clayton Coles, and the main covers are done by Lionel uh, Francis Hugh and Sonny Go. Again, I can't believe we're actually 
finally looking at this book. Marvel announced this all the way back in April of 2021. It was supposed to come out in June of 2021. Then it got delayed to November of 2021. Uh, when it was supposed to show up in September solicits to show up in uh, November, it was nowhere to be found. Bleeding Cool asked Marvel about it. Marvel said no comment, which is probably the right response to anything Bleeding Cool asks you, but that's still what they said. Um <laughs> Uh Uh, and finally the first issue came out in august of 2022 um just a few weeks after the movie prey came out um i think that this is not a coincidence it certainly seems like all of this played into uh disney getting into a long uh lawsuit with the um writers of the original predator screenplay over the ownership uh reverting back to them and so that's sort of all of Disney's plans for the the Prey movie and um and this comic kind of got shelved until this all played out. Hmm. Which made me kind of nervous as well because sometimes when you're waiting for a book and it just gets shelved and it gets shelved and it just sits there um with certain books when it finally comes out it just the book feels stale maybe the jokes or the references or whatever is going on just doesn't hold up one or two or three years later. Sure. Um, but thankfully this is not like a, like let's make jokes about the supply chain crisis book, right? Like this is, <laughs> this is about uh, an extraterrestrial uh, species that hunts humans for sport. So, you know, that's about as timeless as you can get. That's... Nick, are you, are you saying that this book is evergreen? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everyone yeah. out there. I'll see you all later. Thank you. This has been I Read Comic Books. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It really is. Tale as old as time. It's it's real high concept. Brisson doesn't really try to transform it into something that it isn't. Yeah, he sort of inverts the narrative, turns it into this sort of revenge story. This young woman is tracking down uh, the very predator that killed her parents when she was a young kid. Um, but it's engaging. It's well-paced. Kev Walker's art just has this real fun energy to it. And I, I really appreciated Walker's art when Walker drew uh, Dr. Afra for, I think, maybe two arcs, maybe three arcs. But but it's honestly one of the fastest reads I've read in a while since um, um, uh, a righteous uh, a righteous pursuit of violence, uh, a righteous threat of the Rick Remender book. A righteous thirst for vengeance? <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's it. Oh my goodness. Nick, sorry, <laughs> it's been like 18 issues. How do you still not know the name of this book you, that you read? You and I actively talk about this book. <laughs> I, I actively try to plug this book constantly and can never get the title right. I mean, somewhere Rick Remender is hearing this and he's like, you're not going to get a pull quote for that. Like, I can't wait Oops. for the pull quote. And it's just a it's just a long list of my pull quotes with mm-hmm. every permutation and combination of me getting the name wrong. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. But um, honestly, it's it's a fast read. And and I know I've said this a lot recently, like fast reads for me aren't necessarily bad reads. Um, you know, if I'm just flipping through it real quick and just having a great time and enjoying it, that's, you know, that's great. Uh, I'm. I, that's not indicative of something that's like light or in or inconsequential. Inconsequential. Wow. Um, so I would recommend this. Honestly, I, I I knew I was going to enjoy the Alien book. I sort of said, eh, whatever. We'll see what happens with with Predator. But um, I'm I'm having a good time, and I haven't read much Ed Brisson, so I don't have much to go by. But 
That's a shame. Ed yeah. Brisson's done some pretty good X-Men books as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Um, for the record, my joke did not land by anyone because I did not know the name of that ship. It's the Ever Given, not the Evergreen. Oh. Um, so anyways, uh, 2021 jokes, we're back, baby. Uh, let me just wrap <laughs> things up really quick for this quote-unquote first half of the show. Uh, I read X-Men number 14. Uh, this is Gary uh, Jerry Dugan with arts and or pencils and inks by Carlos Villa, uh, colors by Matt Mia, and letters by Clayton Coles. Ultimately, all I want to say, I know this came out a few weeks back, but I, I read it and it was like a perfect five out of five comic for me. Uh, if you need an example of a perfect modern X-Men story, look no further than this issue. I know this run on X-Men for Dugan has been very hot and cold for a lot of people. I think a lot of people like it and then they don't like it and then they come back to it um, because they're like me. And even if they don't like the issue, they come back um, to read the next one. But I've actually really enjoyed the like almost plainness of this book. Like bad guys need stopping, send in the X-Men. Someone needs to protect New York. Guess you better send the X-Men. Like there is this this straightforwardness that we haven't had in a while I mean, and I've been reading X-Men for the past like decades straight, you know, I feel like there's always like it's the X-Men, but there's one twist that you never saw coming, you know, like that's been every X-Men book for a really long time. And the fact that this is just like we set up shop in New York, we're going to protect New York City. We're here to be the X-Men to protect humanity. Like, it's amazing. I, I love the fact that they've stayed consistent in this. There's been no twists and turns and zigs and zags like they took like Duggan has taken everything that Hoxpox introduced and then fit it back into this X-Men boilerplate in a way that creates a really compelling storyline. And it's perfect, like especially in this issue, because it's the premise of X-Men must stop the bad guys. But it's also Judgment Day and with the with the big AXE event that's going on. And I think the action in this issue is pretty unbelievably good. The team member combos work. Everyone is written as that exactly as you'd expect. We've got Cyclops. We've got Sync. We've got Laura Kinney, uh, X-23, a.k.a. Wolverine. We've got Iceman. Like, every, this is a really, really solid team. Um, and all of their drama from the previous issues and all the other stuff that's happened over the past year factors into this story. But I think that is, like, secondary to it being a really good x-men action comic like i'd love to just give this one issue to someone and be like do you understand this and does this work for you as just a plain superhero comic book reader uh, because i really think that this one hits like better than any issue that's happened in this run so far um issue 14 is just perfect like i was floored by how well like contained this whole issue felt so I don't know, or maybe I was just having a really good day reading X-Men books. I don't know, but <laughs> I really like this. I thought it was like a, it totally nailed exactly what makes an X-Men book work. So Paul, I'm going to hand this to you and you're going to have to give me something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe it'll work for me finally. I just want yeah, to say uh, for those keeping score at home, that is five books we talked about lettered by Clayton Coles. So if you're playing the Clayton Coles drinking game, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I did not realize that, but I guess... The dude's prolific. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, oh I guess goodness. we're going to come back. We're going to we're going to take a quick break. We're going to do some tallying of other stats and stuff. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what's on the top of our pile. So we'll be back in just a second. Before we get into the top of our pile picks, I did tell Nick that we were going to talk about something after the break. It is now after the break. So let's talk about the One Piece. Let's talk about the extremely large single collected edition of One Piece that some art person recreated or created and sold and it immediately sold out even though it cost $2,000 a pop. 
Uh, if you haven't seen this, I'll find a link to it. But Paul, Dick, you guys saw this this giant one piece thing, right? I think this made the rounds in our <laughs> this, group chats, this right? Affront yeah. against God, yes. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> the amount of glue in this book alone. <laughs> Um, Nick, I don't know. You brought this up. What are your thoughts on this One Piece thing? I mean, I I love it. It's just this. Uh, <laughs> it's so excessive. It's so dumb. Um, obviously, I think it's not even all of One Piece, right? Because I mean, that would be insane. It's not done. I mean, One Piece isn't done, but right. I think but it's, it's not everything, even to this point, right? Because that would be that would still be insane. Um, I don't know. I think it's. I think it's more than a thousand chapters in one go. So like it's almost up to date. Oh my God. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, I know this is, this isn't a purchase that you buy, right? You know, we talk to people right. uh, like our friend, Matt, who hangs out with us on discord, used to buy a lot of omnibuses. I think he still does every once in a while. And we used to ask him, like, do you have a placard at home? Do you have like a special spot in your house to sit down and read these omnibuses? Because they're so unwieldy. I think anyone who owns an omnibus knows even like the the small ones, right? Like I have uh, X-Men Legacy, the Simon Spurrier run in an omnibus. And even that is like, it's not even that thick, but it's still like a hassle to read, let alone the like definitive grant morrison edition of 52 or whatever you know those things that came out that are just like these massive collections they basically Um, come with a free set of wrist guards and a guarantee (laughs) that you know you can get carpal tunnel surgery after you've completed the book yeah yeah unbelievable i mean i i don't know what this is what this is supposed to mean to anybody like is is it wider than a bookshelf right like 31 (laughs) inches how wide is that (laughs) i don't know paul paul what's your take on this I like the idea of it, obviously, more than a the. It's a it's a great idea, maybe not in a, in conflict, <laughs> not execution. Like I love the idea of like let's show off just how big this thing is. You know, yeah, if you yeah. say a thousand chapters, that doesn't really mean much, but to see it all sure. there in one go is, it almost should just be in a museum, right, mm-hmm. rather than on your bookshelf, just to show the 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 scope of the the uh, the artwork itself. You know, the book itself. Yeah. So, I in in theory, I think it's brilliant. And in execution, I'm not sure who would buy that. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not a book that you read, right? It's a book to show off, right? It's a, it's one of those things to say, like, look at how much money I have. Look at, like, look at how dedicated I am to the fandom of one piece. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's like those folks that buy like realistic titanium based like Captain America shields. I'm sorry if you're one of those people out there, but like that's just a flex and you know it. Um, (laughs) You're not out there training to be Winter Soldier. And if you are, I'd like to see a YouTube video of it. If you're going to be the new Star Wars kid, I'd like to actually have proof of it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really old meme, but it checks out, sir. I'm making my own zingers today, too, just like Nick. Um, But yeah, this is absurd, right? And I, I just, I, I now I want there to be a second edition when the series actually ends in like five years or whatever that's going to be. Because sure. like, if you're reading One Piece, like I am, like all the predictions on the internet, every TikTok anime influencer that's out there, a manga influencer that's on the internet is like, I think One Piece is going to end in five years. And here's 16 reasons why. And it's a BuzzFeed article in video form and I can't stop watching. But it's, you know, people think the series is going to end in the next five to 10 years because on one hand, Oda has said, oh, this is just the beginning of the story now that we've gotten to the the point that we're at, which is a big monumental thing. Like Luffy has gone from nobody pirate to like, stuff and it's it's interesting i don't want to spoil it because i know nick's gonna read Please all of one piece at some point me. yeah 
I actually bought that book and I figured it's the most <laughs> cost effective way to get through it. So uh, yeah. there, there will be like a time lapse. I'm going to set up a, a camera and there'll just be a time lapse of me getting Perfect. through the whole thing. So uh, Perfect. I just want the follow up um, story of how this someone bought this and it ended in, in a divorce because I feel like that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, so you bought the- what? People are predicting that this series is going to end in the next like five or so years. So like, you know, this being 25 years worth of content. And now it's not like it's been coming out every single week for 25 years, right? Like there have been huge gaps of time because when you're working on something for 25 years, like you have health problems and you're, you know, all these other things that cause delays in books. But that being said, it's still a continuing series for 25 years. And it looks like the next like five to 10 years will probably wrap up the show. So it's going to be really interesting. Um like to see what this is if this if the series ends in like what if it ends in like two years like how dumb would you feel if you bought this and then there's just like two more volumes or something (laughs) i don't know that's pretty funny to me um but yeah this is such a wild thing i'm glad that you reminded me that this existed nick even though this is old news it came out a couple weeks ago um or maybe a week or two ago but still it's such a goofy thing oh my god i love it it's just it's it's just excess. There's he's gonna have to. There's gonna they're gonna have to send out like an expansion pack, which just comes with <laughs> with the glue and the extra yeah. volumes, and you just you know it's just got the DIY instructions of how to you know add the extra chapters on yourself. So mm-hmm. perfect. I I think it's great. It's so dumb. Uh, it's 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 perfect. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I guess let's let's wrap up the show here. Let's get into the last bits here. Let's talk about the comics that are on the top of our pile, whether they're new, they're old, or just something you've been meaning to read. Let's talk about what you're reading next. So let's bounce over to Paul. What's or excuse me, Nick? What's on top of your pile? Yeah. So for me, it's definitely going to be the latest issue of Ice Cream Man. I know I'm nothing if not consistent mm-hmm. in that regard, but uh, you know, if if I'm on the show and Ice Cream Man is coming out. Uh, you're going to have to do something pretty crazy to bump Ice Cream Man. So this is Ice Cream Man 32. It's the same team as always. W. Maxwell Prince uh, writing, Martin Morazzo on art, Chris O'Halloran on colors, good old Neon on letters. And pretty much like every other issue, the solicits and information we have are pretty light um, from Image. This week's summary literally reads, uh, Recovery. Uh, Doug's going to try real hard to get and stay sober. And that's it. Um, <laughs> Jesus. You know that's going to go wrong. <laughs> right. Some way. Um, I mean, I, I love that Image doesn't ever say anything more, but I was just thinking about this last night and I was like, you know, that's probably what you have to do. Like when you have this this book where mm-hmm. like most narrative arcs are wrapped up by the end of the 32 pages or whatever, like there's no point in laying any sort of foundation in the solicit because it's like you've never met these characters before. You don't know anything about them. You right. don't know what they were up to before. And if we get into it too much in the solicit, well, you know, we're going to start spoiling things. So it makes sense. It makes sense. But I do love how tight lipped it is compared to like Walking Dead, where it's like, well, we all remember last month Rick killed those walkers and blah, blah, blah. And with this book, it's like, this guy's trying to recover from heroin or whatever. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's sort of intriguing. It's, it's like a less is more thing for me. You know, I did read the six page sampler on images website and the issue does seem to play into um, W Maxwell Prince's real affinity for like 
messing with like routines or lists or patterns. I think a couple months back we had that uh, advent calendar issue that was based mm-hmm. around, you know, the 25 days of Christmas and every day with the advent calendar, you get a gift, right? And so he did an interesting issue that was sort of um, playing with that framework. And and with the preview for this issue, um, he's clearly, based on the pages I saw, playing with sort of like the step one, step two, step three of like the recovery, you know, recovery mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it should be interesting. It didn't look like it's going to play into the ongoing Ice Cream Man, Rictus. I think his name was Rictus, right? It was Rick slash Rictus, right? Rick and Caleb Rick, sort of ongoing yeah, saga. Rick, I mean, he's had a couple names. It's like Rickatus, Rick. Rick like Rickatus or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah. You know, comes in many forms, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but I'm I'm more and more okay with that the further and further we get from like when that was, I'm like, you know what? I've made peace with the idea that maybe we will never ever revisit that. I do want to also briefly point out uh, that nights with a cat volume two is coming out uh, a really fun, cute manga about a man's friendship with his sister's cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's coming out. And also I did notice that there is an Evanescence comic coming out this week. And how could I not with that knowledge, not bring <laughs> up the fact that there is an Evanescence comic? Yes. Uh, everyone should just get up, pay attention, wake themselves up inside and uh-huh, get this uh-huh. book. The problem, Nick, is I can't wake up. <laughs> we, listen, we made these jokes three episodes ago. Get off my goddamn show, all right? Paul, Sorry. what are you excited for? What are you reading next? <laughs> um, I am excited to pick up Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands. This is an OGN by the cartoonist Kate Beaton, probably best known for her book, Hark a Vagrant. Um, you've probably seen her work nice. on the internet before. Um, she did Hark a Vagrant. She also did a book called... Uh, uh, I can't remember the other book she did off the top of my head. Sorry. But if you're familiar with her work, it's usually very uh, satirical, very funny, kind of like little short gag strips that she does mm-hmm. in this sort of like sketchy, loose pencil style. Uh, this book looks to be very different. This is actually a, an autobiographical book that she's doing. Uh, it's a graphic memoir, essentially, that Drawn and Quarterly is publishing. And it chronicles the two years that Beaton spent working in the Canadian oil sands as a uh, at a refinery, like working at these oil sands, helping harvest Whoa. oil, uh, one of the biggest um, oil refineries and you know um, oil sands places in the world. And um, she's there working there. And uh, I think this was 2005 or so that she went out there to, to work to make some money. And um, this is basically her sharing her experience with that. And there's a lot to unpack with this because kind of looking at some of the preview material that's come out, touching on the idea that not only is she one of the very few women working there, and that creates a very interesting dynamic. You're working with a small team of people, very mm-hmm. grueling, hard work, um, and you know, having to relate to people that maybe you wouldn't get along with normally or being the only woman, one of the few women there, creates some tension. On top of that, knowing that she knows that uh, the oil sands there in Alberta are incredibly economic, economic, ugh, ecologically damaging, there are huge environmental impacts as a result of this mining. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of cancers that happen to the people that live around these areas. It's been devastating to indigenous populations in those areas. Um, and she kind of addresses all that, you know, and takes it personally and kind of explores 
the relationship you have with needing to have a job and working here and knowing the ben- the uh, consequences of what you're doing. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like a really fun book. Can't wait to get to this after I finish up Clyde fans. <laughs> that real, like, yeah. uplifting I was going to say, don't, don't make that a double feature because I don't yeah. think that's the way to go. <laughs> Make sure you uh, go for a walk on a sunny day after you finish those books, man. Like, yeah, yeah. please, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's already being heralded as one of the best books of 2022. I've heard a lot of people yeah. giving it advanced praise. I really like Beaton's artwork a lot. I like her comedy timing. And I think like her applying her cartooning skill to a more personal, serious story could be very effective. I can already kind of picture just how devastating she'd be able to render some of this stuff. So uh, I'm excited for it. Again, I think it's going to be a book that's going to be celebrated and uh, it's dropping this week or it came out last week. So I'm going to pick it up and uh, finally get to it. Cool. Well, I guess I'm going to pick it up too. I didn't even know this book was out (laughs) uh, or coming out. So exciting. I guess my book might top my pile for this week, but I guess before I get into that, we got a bunch of people hanging out with us on discord today. Some of them have come, some of them have went, but regardless, they sent over their top of their pile picks. Danny, who's been hanging out with us all day, reading Batman One Bad Day, Two-Face number one, no surprise there. Stephanie's reading Burn the Witch volume one to catch up on the Goodreads reading challenge. I will say that is a wild book. It's really fun. And it's it's Taikubo just doing Taikubo. It's amazing. Uh, Paul G is reading Incredible Doom volume two. Hannah is reading Mark Wade's Flash Run or catching up on Wade's run. And Hugh is reading Public Domain number four, which was almost my pick this week. But I decided I couldn't do Public Domain two weeks in a row or two episodes in a row that I was on. So this week, I want the drum roll to start right now. You're never going to believe what I picked for this. Vanish number one by Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman, J.P. Mayer, Sonia Oback, and Jonah J. Hill. That's writer pencils, inks, colors, and letters down the line. I'm saying fuck it this week. I'm saying 100,000 <laughs> orders must mean something, right? I mean, this book is the most popular book on the shelves. Donnie Cates' Twitter is on fire. It's not wow. usually on fire if you've never seen it, but uh, no, it, I, the, the number of people that are excited about this book after their infamous null venom, the blackest black is the blackest of null, whatever stuff that they did. They're doing this book. Um, the synopsis feels pretty standard young blood. I mean, superhero comics. Oliver Harrison was a mythical hero who slayed the greatest threat to his realm before even hitting puberty. But that was then. As an adult, Oliver leads an average cookie-cutter suburban life, aside from the fact that he's mentally unstable, massively paranoid, smokes like a chimney, and gets blackout drunk every night to hide from his horrific nightmares. Will the arrival of a superhero team called the Prestige prove that the madness isn't all in Oliver's head? And what about the epic fantasy crap from his childhood? Join us for a brutal hell, a brutal as hell tale of magical worlds, gifted youth, evil sorcerers, superheroes, war, blood, guts, and death that punches you right in the face. I mean, honestly, that is the most insane wow. synopsis I've read from Image in a while. And you know what? Every once in a while, you have to pick up the biggest, most popular book out there just to see what the hype is, if it's real, or if the masses are simply wrong. A hundred thousand orders can't be all wrong, right? <laughs> Danny keeps saying this to me over and over, so I think he's just earworming into my brain. But mm-hmm. I'm going to decide whether this book is good or bad. I will be the decider. Pick up my sequel zine to Vanish Number 1 called Decide, where I decide <laughs> what's good or not. Uh, JK, that's this podcast every week. We decide what's good or not here. But I'm excited to check this out, if only because... 
there's so much hype behind this book. And I know that we say this about some things, but 100,000 orders worth of hype is quite different than a lot of people on my Twitter timeline screaming about something, right? Like the the Many Deaths of Layla Starr was an extremely hyped book, but I do not think that it sold 100,000 copies, even though it was probably one of the best comics published in the last decade. Um, 100,000 orders for Vanish number one and and the, the extreme like i guess popularity of venom over at marvel is going to sh- like they're riding this wave and i'm really looking forward to see what what this crew of donny cates and ryan stegman working together can produce especially when they're not restricted by whatever restrictions marvel loose restrictions marvel was probably putting on them over there um so th- i'm excited for this book to see what it's going to be and who knows maybe i'll pick up number two but i'm at least going to try number one i tried crossover number one wasn't my thing I'm going to try this new number one, see if the hype is actually real. So hmm. that's what we're doing this week on I Read Comic Books. The real question, Paul, Mike, is, Nick, I'm sorry, the real question is which cover you're going to get or how many different covers <laughs> you're going to get for Vanish Obviously, one. obviously, I am not playing that game. I know that there's <laughs> 10 covers, um, I, you know, which is so funny. All right, let's just get back on this soapbox. Sorry, I got oh, down. Let me stand back up on it real quick. <laughs> image, Image Comics, very in the last year or two, because of all the paper shortages, made a statement. They said, hey, we're not doing second prints of anything we're not gonna you know if a number one is successful we're not gonna print any new ones if it's it's one and done and you know what i respect that because quite honestly floppy issues and i know that they said this last week on the show um floppy issues are a problem they they actually don't help the market at all single issue comics are actually a bad idea like in a lot of ways i still read them every week i still support support local comic shop buy stuff yep. pre-order things it's it's good for the industry in that regard but Image Comics came out and they said, hey, we're not going to do any more second printings of anything, um, third printings, whatever. I don't know. If, I don't remember if they went back on that or not, but I'm pretty sure they said that they weren't and they've stuck to it, um, even with books that were massively successful. But they will do 10 covers for a book, which I feel like is the same problem, but with different like dressing right like you can't say you're not going to do second printings and then do 10 covers of a book like it's the same bullshit so is this 100,000 copies pre like is it inflated because people want special covers or what I don't know either way it's insane so Paul all I'm saying is I'm reading this digitally (laughs) (laughs) perfect perfect (laughs) (laughs) I love my local comic shop I buy my single issues of the department truth and a couple of other books Uh, I pre-order a lot of graphic novels and and collected editions from them but I will not be buying into this hype Um, it's just not for me I got out of that game a long time ago like yeah that's that's all i'll say about it for for those listeners who don't have the video feeds that we do i'm i'm seeing there's a large pile of poly bagged death of supermans in the background of mike's feed (laughs) (laughs) clearly this um you know one hundred thousand copies can't be that wrong thing has sort of gotten into his head and uh Mm It's a dangerous, slippery slope. He's aggressively DMing me all of the covers for some reason. I don't understand. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, But yeah, I'm going to try this book. Why not? You know, like we I know we're haters. IRCB, we're synonymous with haters. But uh, (laughs) still, I I figured I'm going to try this, see what it's all about. You know, it's it's interesting. It's hype books. Let's see if Image is putting its money where its mouth is, you know, so. Um, anyways, yeah, I think that's that's going to wrap up the show for us. I appreciate you guys uh, trying out. You know, we're, we're trying this no topic format thing where we just kind of talk about comics. Hope you enjoy. I'd love to hear your feedback. Got some wonderful feedback from our patrons recently about some stuff we're doing top of my pile. So love to hear what you think about the show. Um, I guess to wrap things up, next week's episode is going to be me, Kara, and Tia. We're going to talk shop. 
Kara and Tia said that they have some ideas about re revisiting an old topic called sexy bad babies. And they listed Anakin Skywalker and vampires and some other stuff. So it's going to be an interesting show next week, to, to say the least. Um, but until then, you can always follow us on Twitter. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow Paul at Oh Hi Paul. You can follow me at Mike Rappin. And of course, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. I put my face on TikTok recently. Did you see that? Go check it out. Um, it was quite something. Oh, we got featured uh, in, in the Wasted Space Kickstarter. That's why I did that. So if you haven't backed the Wasted Space Omnibus Kickstarter, go check that out. But that's all I'll say about that. Go watch the TikTok. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. You can join today for exclusive series access to such shows as IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. Join now at patreon.com forward slash IRCB podcast. And if you haven't already, please take a minute to rate and review our show. I think five stars is a fair rating. And you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Yes, they have ratings over there. Or wherever you listen to podcasts. Because we deserve it. We would also love to have you join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more. Plus, you can listen to our episodes live as we record every week. Check the link to our Discord in the show notes. Podcasts grow best when they are spread by word of mouth. So why not tell your friends, family, and local comic book shop patrons all about IRCB? Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. And you should also go check out their latest album, Shred Offline. It's a, an orchestral compilation of their music. It's insane. It's on Bandcamp or infinityshred.com, wherever you want to get their music. Xander is here. And it's already too late for all of us. I want to say thank you to Nick and Paul for being on this episode. Thank you to Danny for proof listening. Thank you to everyone listening live on Discord and all you wonderful people out there for supporting us on Patreon. Plus you, just for listening. You got this far in the episode. Give yourself a pat in the back. Go buy that comic book that you said you weren't going to buy today. You deserve it. Until next time, comics are good and so are you. Yeah.